finally, we are getting to the house rules we've been preparing for the last two weeks. You can turn to Colossians chapter 3. The old traditional wedding vows, you would say, uh, I, insert the bride's name, vow, looking at her groom, I vow to love, honor, and obey you. And uh, Audrey Hepburn, in the great movie Philadelphia Story, she even added, to obey you as my Lord and Master. Ooh, that's, I don't think that's a accurate application of Ephesians chapter 5. You want to you wanna know how to turn a bride's face white. I did this to all three of my nieces when I did their weddings this summer. On the day of the wedding, I said, now I use the traditional vows that say you're going to obey your husband as your Lord and Master. And uh, I got a different expression from the brides than I did from the grooms. Of course, I didn't do that. Uh, I don't think that wording is really appropriate. It's more of a, I think it came from the medieval times when that wording was used. Uh, I don't think that's a biblical understanding of submission. And yet still, Paul, man, Paul, why, why do you lead with this one? This is a hard one to preach. I'll admit, I, um, I was uncomfortable in thinking about preaching this first rule, submit, until I started studying it in more depth. And I realized that I was uncomfortable because of a worldly, sinful, disrespectful view of submission that was not biblical, but often is adopted by the church. We will not be that church. Today I want to gain an accurate view of submission. And you'll notice in Colossians chapter one, uh, chapter 3 and verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Paul applies this command to wives. And we will also apply this command to wives. But submission is not a biblical command only to be applied to wives. Everyone here is commanded by God to submit. And not just to one person, to multiple people. We are all required to submit. And not only that, furthermore, in a Christian home, submission is a common ethic. So we put it on the wall. We include it in our list. Number one on the list, in fact, in this household, because Christ is preeminent in our lives, in this household, we submit. So we put it on the list. Number one, submit. Now, in order to kind of wring out as much truth from this verse that we can, and, and to do it in such a way that our hearts will be, will be most able to observe, absorb what comes out of this verse, let's, let's go through this verse one phrase at a time, but let's do the verse <clears throat> in reverse. So if you have your notes, if you're taking notes in the bulletin, let's start at the last phrase. So go to the end of your notes. We'll work our way back to the beginning, okay? <clears throat> We're going to start with the phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. And, and before we even get there, you know, they say there's three rules to proper exegesis. Exegesis is drawing the correct meaning out of the passage, not importing our meaning to the passage, but they say there's three rules for proper exegesis. Rule number one is context. Where does this passage lie? 
What comes before it? What comes after it? What's the intent of the author? Who was it written to? Context is everything. Rule number two, context. That's how important it is. I bet you can guess what rule number three is in proper exegesis. Context. Context, context, context. We spent the last two weeks working on context for this passage, didn't we? I think our hearts are ready to receive it. If I were to ask you, I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask you to put your finger on any verse in the entire book of Colossians. Put your finger on the one verse right now that best exemplifies the purpose of the book of Colossians. Go ahead and do it. If you have your Bibles with you, there's Bibles in the pews too, I think. Kids, if you, you do it too. If I give you permission to gloat over your parents if you get it right and they get it wrong, but only on the drive home. After that, you can't do it anymore. No cheating, no peeking. Fingers on a verse. Which verse is it? Is it chapter 1 and verse 18? Because that's the context. Chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. These house rules that we're going to look over in the next few weeks are guidelines in how we conduct ourselves in our homes, with each other, in the family of God, Whatever your household might be, whatever it might look like, whether you have children or not, whether you have a spouse or not, in your house, these house rules are how you demonstrate that Christ is number one in your life. So now let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We will get to wives, but if you're not a wife, don't turn off. You have, you have to submit to someone, so let's think through what submission looks like. And the first thing that we're going to look at is, as is fitting in the Lord. What does that mean to be fitting? You know, I have a, a favorite pair of pants that my wife does not allow me to wear. They're gray, they're lined on the inside with flannel, they're so comfortable in the wintertime. My knees, I don't know about anyone else, my knees get freezing, and I love those pants. She won't let me wear them because she believes, she's pretty firm in this conviction that when a man is wearing pants, his ankles shouldn't be showing. And so I'm not allowed to wear them. Why? Because they, they don't fit me very well. Really, it's kind of the same idea here as fitting in the Lord. Fitting means it's proper. It looks right. To do otherwise would be out of place. In Ephesians chapter 5, you could turn, we might be do a, do a little bit of turning today, but if you look back at Ephesians chapter 5, you see that word, as is fitting, used in a couple different commands. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. That's the word fitting, proper. And then in the next verse it says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. That's the same, exact same Greek word as is fitting. So it's not out of place, it's proper. And for those that are in Christ, submission is fitting. First of all, I think, because submission is structured within the Godhead itself. We see submission on display in the Trinity. Think through these verses, write these down, you go back and look at them later, but in 1 Corinthians 11.3, I'll, I'll read it really quickly for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 says this. Turn there. 
I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So before we go any further, we can just look at the relationship between God the Eternal Son and God the Eternal Father, and we can see that God the Father is the head of Christ. And in this, we see an example within the Trinity of submission on display. And the Son's submission to the Father should dispel any misconception you might have about submission in whichever context you personally are required to submit. Ask yourself, did Christ, did Christ's submission in any way indicate inferiority? Not at all. Of course not. He is just as much God as God the Father is God, not inferior. Did it indicate any inequality? No. In fact, there's a Bible passage in Philippians that says he was, though he was equal with God. So it's not inequality. Did the Father's, um, extra, did the Son's submission to the Father belittle the Son? No. Did it indicate any less divinity? No. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. In fact, in, in chapter 1 verse 15 here in Colossians 2, it says he is the image of the invisible God. Did Christ's submission to the Father indicate less authority or wisdom? Not at all. No less authority, no less wisdom. Paul, Christ said, all authority has been given to me. Paul, uh, uh, Christ also said in John chapter 5, verse 22, the Father does not judge, He's given it to me to judge. So He's got the wisdom, He's got the authority. Did it indicate any less ability in the Son? No. In fact, we know in Colossians chapter 1, it was through the Son that all things that were created were created. So let's banish the notion that you are conceding something about your nature, your status, or your ability when you submit to those whom you ought to submit. Submission is not inherently dishonorable. Uh, And I've mentioned before that Ephesians is kind of a companion epistle to Colossians. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, we see this also explained just a little bit further. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body as, and is himself its savior. And so we see that this submission um, this concept of submission on display in the Trinity, and then it reaches out in God's relationship to humanity, we see submission, and then it reaches out again and in humanity's relationship to humanity, in the marriage relationship, we see submission on display. But ask yourself this, you, you're a part of this church, you have submitted to Christ. If we're walking with Him, we are submitting to Christ, right? So ask yourself this, Has your submission to Christ resulted in you feeling less or more? In your your submission to Christ, do you consider yourself less honored or more? Less worthy or more? Less fulfilled or more? In your submission to Christ, are you less appreciated? Less valued? Less cared for? Or in that submissive relationship to Christ... Are you more 
cared for, more valued, more appreciated. So we need to remember that whether you're the one and all of us are going to be in both positions in some time in life, all of us are going to be submitting to someone and all of us are going to have someone that submits to us at some point in our life. And in whichever role that you play at that time, just remember what your submission to Christ does for you. So when you're asking someone to submit to you, do it in a way that gives them honor, gives them respect, makes them feel cared for and valued. And as we continue to reflect on this fitting nature of submission, so anyone that's in Christ, it's fitting that they submit to their proper authorities. Let's consider Christ's example. Okay? Let's consider Christ's example. He was one who submitted. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, we see that he submitted to death. What did he say in the garden? He said, Lord, I'd rather, if, if, if at all possible, have this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what did he say? Not my will, but yours. That was costly submission. But notice, he made it clear. This is not my first choice. If I wasn't submitting to you, I would do something else. But Father... I'm going to submit to you. Now, if there was one person in all of history who was worthy not to die, who would it be? It'd be God. And yet he died out of submission. He was submissive to death. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15, he was submissive to baptism. Again, if there was one person not needing baptism, who would it be? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And even John recognized this. John said, no, 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 you don't need to be baptized. You should baptize me. And what did Jesus say? He said, it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So what was he doing? He was submitting to baptism, demonstrating submission, even though he didn't need to do it. Another example, he submitted to death, he submitted to baptism, he submitted to taxes. Yes, he did. Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Here we see an interesting, I want to turn there because... Here's where it really started. These next two examples, it really gets interesting. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter, not wanting to lose face, said, oh yeah, yeah, he pays the tax. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said, yeah, so the sons are free, right? The kings don't tax their own children. And so this tax, which was coming from the temple, he's saying, I don't need to be taxed. My father owns the temple. My father is the one that you worship. I don't need to submit a tax. And yet what does he say? However... Not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Even though he didn't have to, Christ submitted to taxes. Submitted to death, submitted to baptism, submitted to taxes. One last example, he submitted to the desire of his mother. What his mother wanted, he did, at least on one occasion. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the very first miracle, turning water to wine. This is very interesting as well. Because in this passage, she comes, you know, you guys know the story. In John chapter 2, she asks him to take care of it because the best wine has run out. She doesn't want her friends to lose face, we assume. Maybe she was in charge of the wedding, we don't know. But she wants Jesus to do something about it. What was Christ's response? 
It seems almost uncharacteristic. But then again, this miracle seems pretty uncharacteristic of Jesus. Of all the miracles, this is the oddest one, and it's the first one. But what does he say to her? He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, at the very least, what we can conclude from this is that Jesus was trying, he was giving a signal to his mother. Mary had misjudged Christ's timing. He said, my timing's not yet. She had misunderstood Christ's role. She had lacked Christ's wisdom. She failed to gauge the place of Christ's miracles. And Jesus let her know all this when he said, woman, what does this have to do with me? He's kind of given her a chance. Okay, knowing now what I'm telling you, what are you going to do with that? And what did Mary do? Her son's standing here. She turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And then she walks off. And what did Jesus do? Immediately, he told the servants, all right, go get the water. Here's what we're going to do. And he submitted to his mother's desire. What a great example of submission. And so, if there's anyone here that has difficult times submitting, think of these four instances in Christ's life and know that Jesus believed in submission. Jesus practiced submission. And more than anyone else, Jesus had good reason not to submit, and yet he did it anyway. So, let's move on to the next phrase as we take this verse in reverse. Let's look at that phrase, to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is worth mentioning because there, unfortunately, are some churches that get this wrong. Wives, you are required to submit not just to any man, and definitely not to all men, but you are required to submit to your husband. Some churches think that all women need to submit to all men, regardless of what their relationship is to them. We don't find that in Scripture anywhere. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, it's very clear. It says, to your own husband. It says that in the Greek, it's undeniable. To the husband that is uniquely yours, that's who you need to submit to. And um, and also, in 1 Peter 3.16, um, it, it, it kind of gives some new light on the husband here. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So, Wives, there's no, there's no clause here. There's no exemption. If your husband's not demonstrating enough wisdom, this is, if they're not even obedient to the word, he's saying still submit that you might win them without saying a word. So in that situation, there's a new goal to your submission, and that is to inject your home situation with the divine order that your husband might repent and come to know Christ. Um, as we think about submitting to your husbands, husbands, a word for you, as well as for the wives, I think of Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. If you don't write any other verse down, write that reference down. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, in which it says, out, this is a command to the entire church, outdo one another in showing honor. Try to outdo each other in showing honor. We see that clearly on display in Christ's submission to the Father. When, when, Christ, when the Father on multiple occasions when His voice broke through the atmosphere and declared something about His Son, what did He say? He didn't say, this is My Son, He must submit to Me. No, what did He say? This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus was so uh, 
benevolent in his description of his submission. We wouldn't even, we wouldn't, he just brings it to attention. He says, I, I do what the Father tells me to do. I'm following my Father's lead. They're both constantly, always exalting the other. Never taking glory for themselves. Never hoarding the authority, but always giving it to the other. That's a good position to have in a marriage relationship where you seek to outdo one another in showing honor. Between the Father and the Son, um, submission was always displayed, but as far as we can see, never demanded. That's a good example to have in your marriage. Always displayed, but never demanded. What we see is the submission was spoken of, but not reminded of. The Father never had to remind the Son to submit. And so, we need to incorporate that, husbands and wives, into our submission relationship. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 also says this. So the first verse was, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then seven verses later, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. That means co-heirs, equal heirs with you of the grace of light that your prayers be not hindered. So first of all, it says likewise, meaning in the spirit of submission, live with your wives in an understanding way. And that verse is not there because wives are so difficult to live with. It's because you're so difficult to live with. So you need to live with your wife in an understanding way. That's a difficult position to have to be submissive to someone else permanently. Knowing this, men, live with your wives in an understanding way. Again, it says there, uh, it says right there in verse 7, showing honor. Try to outdo each other in honoring each other. Um, One last note here on, on husbands. Husbands, if you want to lead your wife in submission, I would give you three directives. First of all, if you want to lead your wife in submission, you don't... Don't demand it. Be like the Father. Don't constantly remind her. If you want to lead your wife in submission, be a joy to submit to. Really, that, if I, did, I could end the sermon right there. That's, that's hard to do. Men, listen to me. Be a joy to submit to. Number two, be understanding of the difficulty of her obligation in, in obedience to 1 Peter 3.7. And number three, if you want to Really help your wife in submission. Do this. Aim for such a unity with your wife in Christ that it is virtually indiscernible who is functionally submitting to who. Aim for unity. Aim for to lead towards Christ. That in Christ you both have the same vision for what your marriage is supposed to be. You both are submitting to Christ. You're walking hand in hand after Christ. That's the goal. Now, Let's go to the word itself. Submit. Here we go. You ready? Let's look at the word submit. As I mentioned initially, wives aren't the only believers commanded to submit. And that's why there's something in this passage for everyone here. That's why the word submit is on the house rules. It's the number one house rule. Because in a Christian home, we will be people who are submissive. But let's consider who else is required to submit. And here we have three C's if you want to write them down. First of all, churches are required to submit. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, if you're in the church, you're required to submit. Hebrews 13, 17 talks about to your elders, to the leaders. 
There's other passages that teach that as well. First Peter 5, 5 talks about elders and leaders. First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Not only submitting to your elders and your leaders, but also to those who labor and work among you. So you're submissive to those that are actually doing the work. And of course, in Ephesians 5.21, a command to the church in general, Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So in this household, meaning the harvest household, we're going to be honoring all those expectations of submission. We're going to be submitting to each other. We're going to be submitting to the elders. By the way, I seek to do that. I, 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 I do not, even though I'm the one that's mostly preaching and I'm up here the most and I'm kind of the face, I, with all that, I try to do this. I honor Harry and Larry and Dan. Of course, Zach's an elder too, but these are men that are older than me. So I, I submit, I, I seek, I seek as best I can to submit to their wisdom as well. I want to lead us in that. But we submit to each other, we submit to, submit to the leaders, we submit to those that are actually doing the work. The second C word, as far as who we submit to, is who, who is required to submit? Citizens. Citizens are required to submit. Romans chapter 13, also 1 Peter chapter 2. We're pretty familiar with that. And then one last C word is Christians. Just in general, Christians are commanded to submit to God. James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God. We submit to God. So everyone's got to submit to somebody. Now, there's a notable C word that's left off this list. Maybe some of you thought I would say it, children. Why is that not on this list? I think it's because there's a difference between obedience and submission. If you had to define it, what do you think the difference is between obedience and submission? You know, wives are not commanded to obey their husbands. They're commanded to submit to their husbands. I'll offer this for your consideration. I believe that submission is to place yourself under another's leadership, yielding to their decisions. To place yourself under another's leadership, yielding to their decisions. Whereas obedience is to be placed under another's authority, following their commands. You might want to write this down. I don't have to tell any of the ladies to write this down. They're writing it down. But men, you might want to write this down. Your role is not to be an authority. You are not to treat your wife like you treat your children. That is, that's sinful. That is wicked. That is dishonoring to the woman that God has made your mate, your equal, your helper. Don't treat her like you treat your children. She is placing herself under your leadership to trust your decisions. Um, but that's different than being a child who obeys a parent. Finally, let's get to um, that first word, wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. A couple of thoughts here to close with. Um, what do I want to say? First of all, this is not an isolated command. It's not a little footnote in culture that we've outgrown. There are many passages that reiterate this command. Ephesians 5.22, 1 Peter 3.1, Titus 2.5. They all command wives to submit to their husbands. This is, a, this is a biblical command. This is the divine order that God has chosen that is best for you. Think about it. In 1 Peter 5.5 5, it says, if we hum, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's some definite humility required in submission. Ladies, let me ask you this. Do you want God to oppose you? Or do you want Him to give you grace? As a visual, I'm a visual guy, so when I think of oppose, I think of trudging through life in, in mud up to your knees. That's opposed. <clears throat> You're going to carve your way through life like that. Versus God gives grace to the humble. Your sails are open. The wind is at your back. The grace of the Holy Spirit is guiding you, accelerating you. Every step you take, He gives you three. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Wives, let me remind you, you are submitting to your husband, not because he is your authority, but because God is your authority, placing you under your husband's leadership. Uh, may have been strategic, may have been chance, but my wife doesn't happen to be here on this Sunday. She's out of town. But I will say, I believe she's an example of submission. When we were done with our church up in Wisconsin, we knew God was moving us on. There was a lot of hurt there, some caused by our own sin, some caused by other sin, uh, some caused by my pride. It, it was a mess in a lot of ways, and God does beautiful things out of messes, right? But we knew we were done in Adams, Wisconsin. We didn't know. We had never heard of Harvest. Didn't know where we were going. Had some very clear ideas from God's Word, what kind of church I wanted to be a part of. And my wife made this statement. She said, I'll go anywhere, but I'm not going to plant a church. And uh, I remember that so distinctly. And I remember in my heart thinking, but God may be asking us to do that. But I knew also in my ears the tone of her voice. There's no way I'm going to be able to convince her. So in wisdom that was uncharacteristic for me at that time, I just didn't say anything at all. Because I knew if, the God, if God put it on my heart, He'd put it on her heart too. And I trusted that she's a godly woman. And I never had to say anything. The word submission never came up. I just trusted. Lord, if this is where you're going to lead, you're going to lead her too. And of course, He did. And we walked into church planting hand in hand on the same page. So we submit to God. He places you ladies under your husband's leadership. Two more thoughts here for you ladies, for you wives. One, if you here, here's the second to last thought. If you can't think of a time that you have submitted to your husband's decision regarding something that you disagreed with him on, if you can't think of a time where even though you had a different clear opinion and yet you still submitted to your husband, may, maybe you're not submit, as submissive as you think you are. I mean, everyone's submissive if they're in agreement anyway. But if you can't think of a time that you did submit to your husband against your best judgment, maybe you're not submitting to him. If you usually get your way, I hope this isn't true in your house, if you usually get your way just because it's easier, because he doesn't want to have to put up with whatever you're going to do to make his life miserable until he gives you what you want, you are not being submissive. One last thought. Submission is not weakness. It is not dishonor. Submission is not being a doormat. Submission is not being opinionless. Submission is not being disregarded. 
Would any of those words describe Jesus Christ, who was the, ex- the premier example of submission? None of those words would describe Christ. And if they describe what submission looks like in your household, there's a problem there that needs to be addressed between the two of you. He is our example. In your submission, wives, you become an example to your children, to fellow believers, according to Titus chapter 2, to younger wives. When you follow Christ's example, you become an example even to your husband himself on what biblical submission looks like. It's for everyone.